This is the Ravelin Fraud Academy podcast, which is dedicated to bringing you insights about the world of online fraud. On this episode, James Nurse, head of Fraud and Payments at Pocket, joins CMO Jerry Carr to chat about the different fraud challenges facing the prepaid card industry. Okay, we're going to continue our look into the world of uh, fraud and payments. Um, this week we have with us James Nurse, who works for Pocket. James, do you mind telling us a little bit about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So uh, I'm kind of from a gambling background, but I've been at Pocket for the last 18 months, uh, mm-hmm. setting up a lot of the fraud stuff. Uh, so we're kind of a blank canvas when I come in, uh, and then uh, that's it, really. That sounds very interesting. Just for people, and um, probably are some left in the world who aren't familiar with Pocket. Yeah. Um, can you tell us what Pocket are, what they do, what sure. the sort of market space they're in? Yeah. So we're essentially a prepaid card. So we run off the MasterCard scheme. We are kind of trying to be a, an alternative bank account. So to mm-hmm. people that can't necessarily get one. So I guess if you compare us to someone like Monzo, they kind of try and cater for people who are, are served and they find it very easy to get banking facilities, yeah. uh, whereas we are really much going for the people who the banks don't facilitate at all. They have no interest in because they, they, they have no value from them, they make no money from them at all. Okay, so open up, opening up new ways of banking to a to whole new market must have its own sort of fraud characteristics. I mean, is there anything in that market space that's unusual um, from a fraud perspective or trying to get people on, on board who are legitimate? Yeah, well, obviously, we're trying to be the, the world's most inclusive bank. So with that comes, obviously, its own risks. Our kind of onboarding process might not necessarily be as tight or as uh, strict as uh, kind of uh, the, the, the normal bank accounts uh, that you'd be open with uh, your kind of high street banks. So we certainly do have complications and, and different risks that come with that. Yeah, I suppose the whole reason for you guys existing is to be able to get people on board who don't pass all the normal checks. Is that is that right? P- pretty much, yeah. I mean, we kind of offer our kind of whole slogans. We offer a card to everyone. So yeah. regardless of what kind of, uh, you're going to get a card of some sorts, whether it's a lower limit or a higher limit, depending on, on your kind of KYC or verification status. Okay, so what sort of checks do you use? I mean, there's terms in your industry, which are KYC, which I think is know your customer. Yeah. Is that, that right? You have anti-AML, which is the other one, anti-money laundering legislation that's pretty... Yeah, which I'm actually writing at the moment. It's a hefty okay. piece of work. So it's a good 40-page document that wow. I've kind of committed to. So that's uh, got to be done by the end of next week, which will be fun. Okay. But in terms of KYC, so yes, you're correct. It's know, know your customer. So upon registration, so at any website you go on, you fill, fill out a registration form. As soon as they press submit, it kind of sends us a call to, to our third party and we do like an EKYC, so an electronic uh, verification process. Okay. So what that does, it does kind of uh, looks for a two plus two match uh, on two kind of uh, data sources. So it's usually your name and address on, say, things like where, where your bills are paid, postal registration and things like that. It does a general deceased account check as well to see whether you're you're deceased as well because obviously we don't want to be onboarding any customer that's uh, dead <laughs> which is obviously good yeah I, I mean what sort of fraud patterns do you tend to see there what sort of so a lot of recycling of, uh, of data as well so yeah. what, what fraudsters what do they do a lot is kind of use reuse information especially names and stuff so i mean i think you can buy kind of a a customer, an individual's details on the dark web for probably five pound or something ridiculous like like that. But yeah. we do things like sanctions checks and uh, and also um, peps peps checks, so politically exposed Sorry. individuals. Okay. Yeah. So people, so your David Cameron's, they come in tiers, so you can do a tier one check. So these are just like your Obamas and people like that, which is what we're mainly looking out for. But you can also do kind of the later on tiers, which are tier three, which are kind of. Uh, Barry at um, Rotherham Local Council or someone like that. That's a good example. <laughs> and do you, I mean, there's obviously databases out there, but I mean, how key is your own data to this? Is it just something you develop? Is it a 
core competency for Pocket to have these rich databases of your own information, I guess? Yeah, massively. So we obviously, on our onboarding process, as well as these standard regulatory checks that we do, we obviously do our own data checks. So this is things like as simple as looking for duplicate accounts mm -hmm. So and also looking at past fraud trends, so linking accounts to maybe accounts that we've previously suspended. So our, our data is really key on what we do. So we have some general logic in the background at the onboarding process, again, that kind of rejects or we, we, we make a risk-based decision on whether yeah. we're going to approve them or reject them. But also, we also use, obviously, third parties. We're always looking at other companies which can enhance and enrich our kind of onboarding process and, and layer it as best, best we can. We kind of apply, like, it's called a Swiss uh, cheese approach. Yeah. So you kind of layer as many kind of uh, prevention tools as you can at your onboarding. And obviously, there's always going to be certain forces that get through at a certain stage. But yeah. you try and minimise and mitigate that kind of uh, risk from, from that perspective. So if I'm a typical pocket customer, um, how long does this process take? It sounds like it might be uh, arduous to go through this Swiss cheese uh, approach. Is it fast, short time? Well, from the customer's perspective, they actually see nothing at all. So it's they, they click the registration button and everything's going on in the background. So as soon as they click it, as far as they're concerned, the, the card's en route. We have that cushion of a, a couple of days delivery time. So it allows us that kind of 24 to 48 hours time to review any ones that we, we kind of flag as high risk and we'll make that decision to approve or reject their application accordingly. Okay, and I was looking into Pocket. I mean, one of the interesting things from, from a Ravelin perspective, one of the things we're always looking for is, to, uh, is payment card fraud. And uh, it's true, I think, that you guys allow people to deposit funds from a, from a card. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. I think about 30% of our load sources come through cards. So we, we obviously accept quite a lot, a lot of proportion of our, right. our money comes through, uh, through card loads. All right, I don't need to tell you or listeners probably that there's an awful lot of stolen card details out there. Easy to get stolen card credentials from the dark net. Uh, doesn't cost a lot of money. I mean, how, how do you prevent that particular type of fraud in a pocket? So from our perspective, we, we take quite a strict approach. So uh, we actually do offer 3D Secure for all of our, um, all of our payments. So okay. that, A, is a prevention tool and it deters fraudsters. Not everyone has anything in these kind of uh, line, line does. You can't prevent everything. But it kind of, uh, it also moves the liability shift away from pockets. So we're not actually financially liable, which is, mm -hmm. which is really good. I mean, we also have like kind of a rules engine in our home payments gateway. So what that does, it sets certain velocity rules um, uh, to, to pick up um, kind of certain trends that we flagged previously, which is quite yeah. easy. So we can determine whether we're going to accept or not. We also do things like name and address checks with, with the issuer to determine if the card is in fact the person who, who's, whose name it's in on our account. And do you get many attempts, do you think, of uh, fraudulent people trying to... But I guess the fraud here is I get stolen credentials, I'm trying to put them into your account, I then have yeah. legitimate money and I can take that money out just to, just to clarify what the potential fraud risk yeah, is. Yeah, we do. Out. So what the kind of trend you'll see is they'll kind of test the ca an account with, yeah. with, with cards. So they'll do like a small deposit of £10 just to see if it actually works. And then they'll, they'll do what we call stacking. So they'll then put, say, £100 followed by another £100 mm. and £100 and £100. And test what the daily limits are. Exactly. Okay. So yeah. rather than not just our limits to see if the bank will flag it as well. So they'll, they'll try mm. and go under the radar with the first transaction and then they'll stack the, the, the kind of... Uh, other transactions that come on that to, to see if they can get through. And then until the card declines, basically. Yeah. And is this for you guys, is this like a daily occurrence? Is this something you see frequently? Quite a lot. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we see some... If you go onto our gateway and view some of our kind of uh, transactions that come in, you see people trying like large transactions, 10, 20 grand kind of thing, which... But other than that, it, they try and... The, the clever ones try to, to go under, under the radar. Um, and just briefly on 3D Secure, I mean, one, one thing we hear a lot about 3D Secure from uh, most of the people we're dealing with are... 
uh, merchants who are selling goods or services. Yeah. So 3D Secure is a pretty severe uh, conversion hit. Now, this can vary industry to industry. I'm just wondering if, if you guys see it, if people get, legitimate customers get, um, you know, disencouraged to continue with the deposit or creation because they have to go through this. Sure, it, it definitely affects. It definitely affects conversion. So, yeah. I mean, if we compare it to the gambling industry, which I obviously know, know reasonably well, they yeah. uh, they they kind of approach it very differently from a three D secure. They do kind of more of a dynamic three D secure, so they don't offer it to everyone, or they decide depending on the risk whether they want to push that customer through three D secure or not. Yeah. I mean, that works really, really well. I mean, from our perspective, we're not quite ready for that because. We're a financial institution, so from a gambling perspective, their margins are quite high and they're, they're quite happy to take the risk on board. But from a kind of a prepaid industry and a regulatory perspective from ours, I don't, we can't really do that. We have to be sure that the money's coming from a legitimate source. Okay. Um, one of the things we're sort of discovering the value of or, or trying to push the agenda from it, Ravelin, is this idea of sort of uh, collective sharing of data, This um, you know, particularly within an industry where... A fraudster will tend not to try and hit just one example of that. You know, if they go to food delivery, they want they will try multiple food deliverers to in order to um, uh, maximize their chances of getting free goods. Uh, it's probably similar, I'm guessing, in in sort of disruptive banks where people can put deposits from from cards. They're probably going to try your competitors, your you know other people in your industry. Um, do you think there's something that you guys could be doing collectively that would be? Um, maybe you are doing things collectively, but do you think they're what are those? And I think there are other things you could be doing collectively. Yeah, definitely. I mean, as I mentioned earlier, like data sharing in terms of uh, fraudsters recycling data, I mean, that happens all the time. So what you'll find is they'll go from one program to the next program to the next program. It was the same in the gambling industry as well. Mm. They'll just go from one, one, one merchant to the next merchant to the next merchant. And uh, unfortunately, there's certain problems with data sharing. So uh, yeah. regulations don't always allow it, which makes it obviously complicated. Um, there's a lot of third parties that are actually... Uh, kind of getting around that so by kind of uh, flagging emails IP addresses uh, de- serial numbers de- for devices and mm-hmm. uh, I mean we, we're looking at I don't know if you've heard of SciFast before so uh, they're basically a, um, a non-profit organisation started up by the government oh yes yeah, yeah, of course so they, they're a big data centre and, yeah. and they, they flag lots of lots of things so account numbers sort codes and so that, that kind of uh, facility is, is really really useful you mentioned gambling a couple of times, gambling and gaming. That's that's your background, I think, before you joined uh, Pocket. Um, I mean, they've been dealing gambling and gaming are sort of one of the originators of dealing with online fraud. Um, I'm just wondering, you know, is there anything from that industry that you think the these newer disruptive industries can can learn, and you know, what differences and similar similarities there are between the two? Yeah, sure. I mean, the the, the main aim is for the frauds is always the same thing, kind of. Uh, Using using the company as a vehicle to kind of harbour the proceeds of crime. So uh, th- from applying that principle is very similar from from like the prepaid to the gambling industry. Uh, I mean the way they go about it is slightly different. So with the gambling industry, what you'll find is they obviously load the funds. I mean with the risk in the gambling industry, there's so many different payment methods as well. You're not just looking yeah. at cards. You're looking at e-wallets, virtual cards, interbank systems, bank transfers. So there's a ri- high risk in itself. It's quite a high risk industry. But then they're also trying to kind of hide the funds by they'll try and get rid of them through poker, maybe as an example. So right. chip dumping is quite a big thing. So and then they'll just kind of withdraw the funds via via like um, their own bank account from a different merchant. Um, I mean, but what do you think specifically that the? I mean, are the things specifically that banking could learn from the approach that gaming takes that the the precautions that they have in place? Yeah, they're they're. I mean, they're a lot better in terms of. Um, sharing data uh, than maybe the prepaid industry. So right. there's quite a, 
a close knit community in the, the, the that that industry in terms of uh, maybe uh, one thing they can do dyna- the, as we mentioned earlier dynamic freely secure that this yeah. is a, a big thing in terms of actually conversion on the transactions they do a lot of things with like tokenization of uh, CVV numbers mm-hmm. uh, so they kind of just tokenize it and upon the when the customer deposits uh, and that really helps for a cu- smoother customer journey. So we're hearing a lot about biometric identification. Uh, I'm wondering, do Pocket use it? Yeah, so, I mean, we don't use it to a full extent at the moment. So we, the simplest of terms, we kind of use it to allow them to log into their app on their iPhone or something like that. That's very simple. But, I mean, it's certainly a new technology that we're looking into. Uh, I mean, it's, it can save a lot of money and costs uh, for, for small companies like, like Pockets. Uh, I mean, I certainly think the technology's moved along in the, a lot in the last kind of five years. So... Where where a lot of these companies that we're talking to at the moment are, are using it is kind of uh, using it for kind of selfie um, recognition and, right. and ID as well. So rather than the customer at the moment, like we do for due diligence, uh, they submit a copy of their passport or or, dro- or proof of address or whatever in like a, a file and upload it to us via a secure tool. They just do a selfie on their phone or on their camera on their um, on their laptop and. Uh, hold the passport or driving license uh, alongside a selfie and what the uh, kind of uh, logic behind the scenes will try and match those details together to try and determine whether that individual is legitimate or not. I mean, with that, there's still the kind of user cases where there's always going to be exceptions that require a manual review. Mm-hmm. So with that 15%, you're still going to need kind of a, a body at the other end to kind of uh, review those those kind of exceptions. But it's certainly something that's moving on. It will definitely be a cost-cutting exercise for small companies. Yeah, I guess one of the things we look to for from our banks these days is actual protection from fraud. Um, pocket customers, I assume, are, are no exception in that. I mean, what sort of measures do you have in place to protect your customers from, you know, the nefarious actors that there are out there? Yeah, so, I mean, we're, we're constantly monitoring the, the, our customers, whether it's on onboarding, as we've discussed previously, or their transactions in general. So we could be talking about their transactions, actually what's going on on their card, so their point-of-sale transactions, then buying in WH Smith or somewhere like that, but mm-hmm. and looking out for kind of uh, suspicious transactions in a foreign country. That's kind of one of the ideas, like ones we actually see. So a customer usually transacts in kind of one particular area in the UK, and then you'll see kind of a transaction in South America. That kind of in- immediately flags to us on our monitoring system, and we review it, contact the customer, and determine whether this transaction they attempt is legitimate or not. More yeah. often than not, it's been a kind of a compromise from their end and uh, on maybe a, an, a merchant, online merchant or something. And obviously we have to reissue cards and take the individual through kind of a standard malware practice and uh, resetting passwords, making sure they run antivirus and things like that. And um, I've got to make maybe a false assumption, but I guess um, there's probably language um, difficulties with a lot of your customers, not difficulties, but English might not be, might not be a native language. Uh, so when you're calling them up, that might be more difficult. Is, I mean, given given your user profile, a customer profile, are there differences? Do you think in the level of protection that you need to give? Uh, are there differences in their experience or difference? Uh, you know, is it providing a different service catering to that market? Yeah, definitely. Some of the, the particularly our customers, if we compare them to the uh, the gaming guys again, mm-hmm. they tend to be more unsophisticated. So uh, we're we're giving them a bank account that they've not necessarily had before. So they're not used to transacting online. They're previously just maybe withdrawing cash from the ATM or going into the bank to withdraw cash. Yeah. So they're suddenly getting exposure to a new product that they've not actually had before. So I mean, there's definitely maybe a learning element that we should be helping with, and that's something we, we should be looking with going forward. All right. Thanks. It sounds like a really interesting space. Really interesting uh, problem to solve. Um, if anyone listening is interested in getting a pocket account, how do they go about getting one? Yeah, if you just go to our website and go for a registration page, it's a really simple process. It will take you a couple of minutes and then it will be in the post in a couple of days. Okay, great. I'm fully secure. Yeah, fully secure. <laughs> okay, thanks James. Pleasure. 
If you enjoyed this week's episode and would like to listen to future ones, please visit our SoundCloud page at www.soundcloud.com forward slash Ravelin and hit follow.